Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Uh, every week I've been saying it's a special episode and not that I didn't mean it the past few weeks that it's a special episode, but today is a truly special episode for several reasons. Number one is this. Uh, we recently celebrated our one year anniversary as a podcast, Margin Call. We've got podcasts now in the 50s, well over 52, So, and we're doing one a week. I'm very proud of us for that. It wouldn't be possible without Eming, but we'll give her her shout out later. Today's episode uh, is a return to our old format. You know, we used to do an editorial meeting, which was essentially just like a chaotic mess of people arguing over each other, which I actually appreciate because it's true to the spirit of our background as journalists and people who argue. But for Eming's mental health, and for our listeners' enjoyment, it makes a lot more sense to have shows that have topics where we invite specific guests, and then Eming edits it very nicely, and then we present it to the people. So thanks to our listeners, and that means you. Um, our show has grown in popularity, and thanks to Eming. Thanks, Shirley. This really is a return to right. form. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Shirley, not to phone. She's walking. If you guys can see this video, I wish you could. Shirley on video right now is walking around like, I don't know how many people saw that movie, Requiem for a Dream, where like, they, they mounted people's cameras to Jennifer Connelly's head, and she's like leaving this like, you know, she got paid to do a horrible sex show and she feels totally degraded and she's leaving and there's a camera mounted to her head and she's like crying and going down the stairs. That's what Shirley looks like. Uh, not I was dog food. Yeah, she was getting dog food for her stray dogs. But I just want to let our listeners know it's going to be a different kind of show tonight because it's a true editorial meeting. We're inviting all of our former guests, anyone who's ever been on the show. So lots of people are going to pop in and pop out. We're going to talk to them about the subject that they originally appeared on the show to talk about and then kind of check in for an update. Are you still following this story? Has anything changed that we should know about? And we want to give people an opportunity to pitch a new story, talk about something we need to talk about. Uh, one other exciting thing that's happening today is that once again, we are a truly global podcast. Shirley is joining us from Mexico City. I expect Silvano to join us from Germany. That's always a question. Um, we have Melanie presumably in Florida. Eming is in Richmond, California. I'm in New York. This is our global news organization in action. And I'm going to start with the most global person here, Shirley Abney, old friend, one of the first guests who ever appeared on the podcast, and someone who almost couldn't make it on the show tonight because she was too busy being involved in the important work that needs to happen in terms of immigration, what's going on on the border, people being deported to Mexico. So she's so committed to her movement. She's like, I can't come on. I can't come on. I said, that's why you need to come on, because you have something to talk about, something important that's happening where you live. So Shirley... We love you. We welcome you back. Please tell us what you've been up to and why you almost couldn't make it tonight. Porque estamos en la chingada, which means we're totally fucked. I um, know what chingada means, okay? No, I mean, for, for our listeners, for our listeners, Thank some of whom may not know that in Germany. That's true. Yes. Um, I know you know that. Um, it is, ladies and gentlemen, not great. Um, as you know, uh, they did that little pantomime when they showed the um, the big tariffs thing coming from Trump. I'm sorry, I am really tired because things have been crazy. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Trump threatened tariffs. Ebrar, one of our top officials, went to the U.S. Uh, to negotiate. Uh, we came back agreeing to make Mexico the third safe country. Anyone who's ever been to Mexico knows it is not a safe country. Um, and the whole context of what is happening is that 
AMLO wrote a pretty letter that made everyone think that, oh, the lefty president is talking about human dignity and fighting back. Well, actually, what happened was that Ebrard went from whatever negotiation he did, it wasn't about changing lives or taxes or dignity for migrants. It was about wanting a cut. Because why shouldn't Mexico get a cut of this incredibly profitable 700 and how many dollars a day migrant prison thing that Geo, that GeoCore and what is it? I can't remember anymore the names of the two big groups, the two big uh, prison uh, corporations that are making the most money off of this. Anyway, so during when he came back, there was a uh, there's Does been that talk mean, about- Let me interrupt for a clarification because I don't know all the details of the story. Does that mean oh, that the money that's going to private industries to ha- detain uh, migrants in the United States, Mexico wants to also have those contracts and get that money to to, yeah. de- to detain migrants as well? Because that, as I understand it, that's the policy of the administration now is like make Mexico the police of Central America, basically, and of their own people. And we'll give and you money. We'll give you that. money. We'll give you money to lock up your own people because now we're not only exporting democracy, but we're also expo- exporting mass incarceration. Is that fair to say? The analysis that I gave, I think, a year ago was that if you use World War II as an analogy, and I think now that we're calling them concentration camps, we can, is that uh, they didn't kill Jews in Germany. They killed them in Poland, a country over which uh, the um, uh, Germany had been exerting power for a very long time, a country that whose people Germany didn't respect very much. Slavs were lower on the whole Aryan race hierarchy thing. And a people who didn't really like Jews much anyway. It's an incredibly good combination. We had the same thing in Mexico. That that power is being exerted not militarily, but economically. So the question is, is Mexico going to end up being Poland, not just for the U.S., but considering how many refugees we have coming from other countries. And now there are refugees on the border from the Caribbean, from Syria, from Iran. I mean, next week, if you want to have them on the show, we've got a Somali journalist activist now living in Mexico, working at a call center, trying to learn Spanish, trying to organize, who's really into stand-up comedy. I'm in. Book him. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that might be your guy. His name is Abdul, and he's ready. Nice. Um, so, yeah, so the question, and when I say I think we're becoming Poland or we are on the route to becoming Poland, people are like, ah, you're so nervous, Holocaust, Nazis under the bed, da da da, because it is true. Um, on the other hand, I, when they carry me off to the camps, I will tell you, A, I look good in stripes, and B, I'll be like, I was right. Um, well, you know, uh, vertical stripes are slimming. Vertical stripes, well, yeah, but you know, you don't eat, so you get skinny quickly anyway. There you go, another um, incentive for you. Really. <laughs> exactly. But no, I do believe that uh, you have to be able to foresee possible futures in order to prevent them. And you have to look this shit right in the face. And this is happening at a time when I've been hearing from friends who are in business that there are champagne bottles uh, being popped all over the country right now because of deals being closed by people precisely who are working in the privatization of prisons. My prediction is it's going to happen under the name of everything that happens as a cut under this administration, which is fighting corruption. This just in, this just in. Corrupt foreign governments now taking money from the United States to do their bidding within their own borders and line their pockets. Exactly. What was the song from Beauty and the Beast? Tale is old. But it doesn't have to end up that way. And I'm going to end this, and you can cut this later, but I'm going to end this on a pitch. I'm not sure when this is opening. But one of the things that we're doing with a great organization called Otros Trems en Acción is we're organizing an event in the Zócalo next week called Florecer Aquí y Allá, which means to flourish here and there. And what's really cool about it 
is that it's arts, it's it's a political protest really, but it's wrapped up in a nice, pretty arts and culture bow. We're gonna have spoken word, rap, et cetera, et cetera. Now your question and answer is, why do we care about that if it's happening in Mexico? And it's not just happening in Mexico because we're organizing trans locally and there's gonna be, the janitor's union's gonna be performing in LA. We've got street theater in San Salvador. We've got in San Pedro Sula, which is the super, super fucked up, a very, very violent city that is now currently in flames because of the fighting in Honduras. That's also where Josue, whom we met on the caravan, was on the run from last time we talked. San Pedro Sula is going to have a demonstration. So it's going to be Austin, New York. Russell, it's in Sunset Park, New York, Friday, July 6th. I'll be there. Uh, uh, Chicago, Atlanta, Juarez, uh, San Diego, Mexico. Mexico City, Chiapas, Tapachula in Chiapas. I can't remember the name of the place in Guatemala, but I'll send you the info. And the reason that I'm pimping it so hard is because I feel like it is a last hurrah in some ways, because I think things are going to get dark really quickly. And I'm shocked that we got permission to do it. But also because if the fight's not trend, if the fight isn't across the whole hemisphere, then we we think about it as a national thing, we lose. So um that's what we're all organizing for. And that's why I'm so tired. And I, when I told Josue, I was like, you got to tell your mom and your sisters to come out so that they can celebrate with you. Cause he's going to be celebrating in Mexico. He was like, I'll totally tell them unless things are burning. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, they burnt a Burger King yesterday. No. Well, the burgers are flame broiled to be fair. So <laughs> more so now it may have been a kitchen um, incident. So is it awful that I introduced a pitch? It's just that I, With I really, really- With meeting, Shirley, you're supposed to introduce pitches. Yeah, but I'm not supposed to pitch as a publicist. I'm supposed to pitch, no, the pitch is people out there, maybe through Marshall Project, maybe you at John Jay, need to try and find ways of demonstrating that this is a business deal happening between Mexico and the U.S. It is not a conflict between Mexico and the U.S. Well, that's, that's the all story. Huge. That's the story. And yeah. as much as you come on here and you tell us, I'm not a journalist anymore. I'm an activist and I respect that distinction. You say a lot of things that sound very journalisty. And I know. I'm, I like it. Journalists have to write them so I can go back to being activists. I want to be a force. And then, a and then you are a publicist, which is fine because, pub, you know, news needs a pimp. So, yes. you know, please, please be that bridge for us. Deliver stories to us. We'll make yep. the distinction about whether it's news or not. I'm, I'll decree it right now. It is. Shirley, your manic enthusiasm for global justice is infectious. <laughs> That's why we love having you on the show. I couldn't think of a more succinct description of why the story matters, a better pitch to make it relevant to people. I'm thrilled. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. I have been following this story pretty closely, but I did not have that insight. And that's why you're here. And that's why we love you. Because we're staying in Latin America, Melanie, and we're coming to you because one of our very first podcasts ever was, say it with me, everybody, Hula Hoops for Puerto Rico. Was that? That was what we called it, right? Hula Hoops for Puerto Rico. And it was about the work that you did, Melanie, in Puerto Rico after Maria um, and all the stories that you found while you were there. You did a very good job explaining what the crisis was in the wake of the storm and then what happened once all of the U.S. government relief left. Um, and I am eager to check back in with you because your brainchild, uh, which was reconstruction, Porto reconstruction, um, is still on the site, and we want to post more stories about what's going on in uh, Puerto Rico, but we need you to bring us up to date. So, Melanie, I know you have so many things going on in your life. 
last I heard you were back in Orlando. Who knows? Maybe you're back in New York City. You are a global digital vagabond, so you could be anywhere, Germany, Brazil, whatever. But I do want to ask you very briefly if there are updates from your end about Puerto Rico. I know that you wrote a beautiful story some time ago about um, Orlando and about how the culture in Orlando has changed from refugees from the storm. I don't know if there are updates there, but uh, what's, what's up, Mel? Welcome back. What's going on? Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me back. It's really nice to see you guys. And uh, it's just it's just cool to... I don't know, be part of this again. It's been a little while. Um, well, so yeah, I've been in Orlando and to be honest, the most I've I've interacted with the community as far as um, you know, Puerto Rico goes is the library. Um, the downtown library is where I spend most of my time. And there's been a lot of activists just hanging around in front. Um, having people sign petitions for the next election coming up. What kind of activists are we talking about? So there's there were three petitions that I just um, sort of signed um, in order to get them on the ballot. And one of them was to have, um, uh, to, to prevent winter, what do they call them? The, the bluebirds? Snowbirds. Snowbirds. The snowbirds. I call them bluebirds. <laughs> for, for our listeners who don't have any connection to Florida, there's like a weird kind of... There's a lot of part-time residents. There's a weird kind of xenophobia that goes on in Florida where it's like, if you're a Florida native, you really have... Many of them have a very strong resentment for the people who winter in Florida to escape the harsh northern yeah, winter. They call them snowbirds. My aunt curses them every time they cut her yeah. off in traffic they're like the techies of florida where like if you want to blame a right. issue on somebody blame it on the on the snowbirds but please. well the irony is that every everywhere in central florida is called winter something like mm-hmm. i went to winter park high school so Thank what you, you, went, you went you went to winter park high school yeah and so there's winter. winter haven winter springs winter garden <laughs> yeah so like everything is winter something and so also, i mean the irony i would imagine is uh how much those snowbirds contribute to the economy right so they go down there and spend a ton of money isn't that a huge part of the economy in florida well, yeah and they a lot of them own property and the property is taxed like the property taxes directly support the local schools so yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, so that was one of the petitions that I signed, um, because one of the big deals for the 2020 election is that they might come down and, and not, um, support the right candidate <laughs> or whoever you are, you have to <laughs> the right candidate's gonna be. but, but it could go the other way, right? Like, so if you've got a bunch of New Yorkers who are Democrats that come down and vote as Floridians, that could also help as well his big rally that he supposedly yeah he was in orlando right isn't that he was in orlando i was like what a beautiful irony that he He was at the amway center amway center my god a a ponzi scheme if ever there was one yeah uh, in order to kick off his ponzi scheme candidacy (laughs) perfect yes exactly so um so he kept bragging that there were people who couldn't get into the arena because you know it was so packed and people couldn't get tickets and of course colbert gets on um, his show and he had people that were actually outside of the arena and it was completely empty and <laughs> and, and it actually was a, 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 
full of like lawn chairs and it looked like it was a tailgate party that had been abandoned the week ago. So it, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting climate. I, I've been starting to call central Florida, the Midwest of Florida. Nice. Um, it, it kind of feels like that small town thing where people really are very Trumpy, but then you've got like a, like these little enclaves of liberal people here and there. Yeah. The other petitions that I signed were um, one was to raise the minimum wage here. Um, it's still eight something, eight dollars and fifty something cents. They're just trying to get it up to ten dollars, and I know that in New York it's up to fifteen dollars. Um, cost of living here is a lot lower for sure than New York, um, but if you go to the grocery store, it doesn't feel that way. It just it seems like. Um, prices here are just as bad and, and people are really not. Well, you know them. why? Because you can't grow anything in Florida. You know what I mean? <laughs> what, no like way. oranges? <laughs> There's well, oranges. oranges but, you know. Hi. Hey, Katiba's hey, here. Hey, Katiba. She Hi. beat traffic. Congratulations. Wait, All right. Where are you Sorry. calling in from? So, Oakland. I'm from home. <laughs> oh, Oakland Sorry. or Davis? I'm in Berkeley. No. Sorry. Oh, okay. I'm cool. Back. Nice. Welcome, Katiba. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, you are a very, very welcome addition. We're finishing with Melanie right now, who's telling, telling us about the state of organizing activism and politics in Central Florida. She's in Orlando. Uh, uh, and there's and a lot of concern as it relates to the 2020 election and people who are from out of state but spend a lot of time in Florida being able to cast a vote there or eligible to cast a vote. So like, depending on what side you think, you know, whoever you think should be president, people are upset that people from outside of the state might be allowed to vote in that election because obviously Florida is a major swing state. So mm, Katiba, yeah. you're next. Can I, can I just add something to Please, please. Have you guys seen the story that Puerto Rico has a contingent of Republicans that want to have build a statue of of Trump. I I did not see that, but then you know they build a statue to anybody, man. You know, I, <laughs> that one really popped out at me just because you know I had this idea that most Puerto Ricans were really against him after he threw paper towels at them. That was know, an after act the hurricane. Of, that was an act of compassion. He <laughs> <laughs> was trying to provide aid. You know that that person obviously wanted paper towels. You know what I mean? Otherwise, people wouldn't have been grabbing for it. You know, I right. hate to be so, devil's advocate, but I no, no, you can be it. the devil's advocate because the article is pretty interesting that I'm reading. Because so they're they're um, are these Puerto Rican people in Florida who who want a Trump statue? No, no, they're Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico, and they they want to erect a statue because Trump apparently visited after Maria, whereas Clinton, um, I guess he took a couple of weeks to visit Puerto Rico after. Um, Hurricane George, um, and so, so this is where you know things get really kind of stupid. I think you know it's like okay, so I'm not really sure what I think of the whole thing. I don't see why somebody needs a statue because visited. Um, you know, there's a, so much yeah. more I to this Puerto story. Rico. Where's my statue? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I I went there last year too, so yeah. I figure you, you know, know Melanie, my Toronto whole family. Statue. We need a Fembot statue up there too, right? Yeah. I mean, I thought maybe, first of all, that's a story, right? I mean, I'm sure that it's been reported on, but we haven't really dug deep. I haven't seen anybody dig deep on that, find out who are the people organizing for it. 
who are the mm. pro-Trump people in Puerto Rico and how do they justify their existence in their statue? Which I'm interested to hear. It's not that it's not justifiable. Yeah, maybe it, maybe that's the story, right? Yeah. So I, I like that Shirley ended her piece with a pitch. I mean, I was, you know, I don't know if she's going to write something about it, but but as soon as I saw that headline, I was like, oh, that's such a good reconstruction story um, to like find out who are the folks that are on that side of things and why do you need a statue, especially in terms of, um, I went to AFI docs in Washington, DC to their film festival, mm -hmm. which is like their big documentary film festival. And they opened with a film by, um, this lawyer who has been, he just, um, opened a, a museum in Montgomery, Alabama, that is, um, a tribute to all the, um, the black folks that, that were killed um, due to lynchings mm -hmm. and he's been working a lot for like human rights for all the um, incarcerated folks um, that are there unjustly or they're on death row. And he makes these like links between people who were lynched and people who are on death row unjustly, um, you know, in the, in the system. And so I was just, he, his big argument was, you know, Germany doesn't have any statues of Adolf Hitler, so why do we still have all these statues to to people who were um, on the Confederacy side of things in the yeah. South? Yeah. And so I hadn't heard that argument before, and I was surprised that I hadn't. I was like, maybe I'm not reading enough. Um, but it, have you? Yeah, have you I guys mean, heard I, that? Because really I never thought of it. We were having a big national conversation about these Confederate monuments. There were a lot of comparisons to, uh, you know, war criminals throughout the world mm -hmm. uh, who never got statues because they were war criminals. And what is the difference between that and people who fought on the side of the Civil War? That was a strong argument among people who were against um, erecting statues. Really quick, everybody, I'm reporting live from New York City. So I was just going to say that's such a New York soundtrack right there. <laughs> if, you, if you hear sirens, that's just part of the ambient, the beautiful ambient poetry. Gotta love uh, Russell's so new ambience. Makes my life so much like fun. It's like right there. <laughs> it's the like they're coming yep, right, right smack dab next to the yeah. thing. By New York standards, that was a quiet siren. That was like mm -hmm. a baby siren. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have noticed it if I hadn't seen Eming's face just like scrunch up like, oh, God, another siren. Close your windows, Russell. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, uh, I was just I was just fascinated like yeah. the, between like this links of statues and why Trump would deserve a statue at all. Maybe I mean, he's, if he's, he's barely statue, been a president. I'd like it to be a statue of him holding a roll of paper towel kind of like right <laughs> about to toss it, you know? That uh, would be that would be and, the the only way. And to maybe do it. they want a statue so that you know birds can shit all over it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there are a lot of reasons they could be. Maybe it's a troll move. They're counter trolling him. Uh, and now I get to welcome our third guest, Katiba. Welcome back, Katiba. The last time you were here, we were talking about broke ass young people, and and you were like, "Why is everybody always talking about broke ass young people? I'm making it work. Like, don't talk about my generation." Well, Russell. And then I was like, Russell, now she's in tech for real now, apparently. Like, she's making, like, something more than most of us. <laughs> so, yeah, the last time you were here, I was calling you a broke-ass young person, and now I can just call you a successful young person. 
Getting there. Why is he still broke? There, so. Well, I mean, you you were able to perspectivize things in a way that was really refreshing because I had my own assumptions about like, well, well, young person, let me tell you about young people. And then you were like, nah, actually, like, I'm good. Like, I live with my family and I'm going to college and I'm going to be fine because I have a good skill set and you're going to be the one who's broke because I'm about to work in tech. And I was like, wow, what a refreshing idea, Katiba. Thank you for putting me in my place. So I appreciated it for I like to be corrected when I'm wrong. Um, but things have changed. Obviously, you're working. Did you finish college? Like, please, please update Update. us on your life. What are you doing? For sure. So last time we talked, oh, my God. Can you remind me what month that was? You had only, you done your first graduation. One (laughs) of two. (laughs) Okay, yeah. That helps you at all, Katiba. My life was that first graduation and the second graduation and life after. Uh, Yeah, so I was definitely very unemployed then. Um, applying to jobs day and night and like but here's the thing I want I shouldn't have been applying so early in retrospect because a lot of companies would realize that I wasn't graduating till May for real for real and so they were like yeah no we're we're good if you're not starting next month we don't we don't need you and I was like okay cool it's not like I worked on this cover letter or something um but I definitely leveraged the internet and all the different companies that do recruiting so I had my resume on like God knows how many sites and was just like really maximizing like all the different tools. Um, did it get me really far? No, but you know, it felt, it felt like I was doing something. Well, I got you a job, didn't it? Well, here's the thing. The job that I have now at the startup, I got it because my friend's brother is the CEO. And she Isn't did. that always the way? Folks. <laughs> okay. Kids, if you're listening, don't waste your time polishing your resume. <laughs> Just have a good social circle and charm people. Well, yeah, I mean, when she described it, she was like, oh, yeah, like my brother's company is hiring. And I was like, anyone can call it. Start-. You know what I mean? Like, I, I would say it's my company. Quest on the startup. Come work for us. We don't have any money, but we've got big ideas. <laughs> and so then I was like, okay. And then I applied, got through the interviews. I, I applied, or she really sent out the email. And another Another fun skill that I learned then was um, how to nudge because she sent out the intro email. They didn't, they didn't get back to me, so I just gave up on it. I was like, whatever. And she was like, you need to nudge. I'm like, that's like a whole new thing that I like. I just felt like it was like rude to do that. And it's not. So it's just a lot of learning went into this whole process. Anyways, she nudged for me. I got further along, kind of got passed over for like a month because they're like, you're not close. We're trying to hire fast. I was like, okay. Uh, and they also had like a lot of management changes. And then uh, April, I was in the rounds, got to onsite. And they were like, when do you want to start? I was like, yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I need this. I need this so badly. Um, yeah. But yeah. And so I don't know. I, I, I learned a lot of things of not what not to do. Um, so all the rejections, I know it's so cliche, learn from rejections, but really like the way I was positioning myself the first time I applied to jobs was just so wrong. And there's a reason why I got all no's. Um, and like, I like this whole confidence thing of feeling like you can't qualify for the job, but then there's guys out there who only have three out of 10 of the skills and they apply because they're so confident. And I'm like, I need to be that person. So did I apply to upper management? Yes. Did I get a nice. job? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There was one job that was like, we need 10 years experience. And I applied because I really thought I could bypass that. 
Um, but yeah, and then I started, and now I just finished my fourth week. So I just finished Excellent. my month. Congratulations, Katiba, employed young person working in the tech sector. I love it. I love it. There's so many lessons in there. I mean, I feel like we could do a whole show with you about like tips on applying for jobs, following up the idea of patient persistence, which is like something I learned very late in life where it's like, it's not annoying to remind people you sent an email because people are busy. They see the email, they forget about it, but even though they wanted to respond, you know, and also the idea that it's not in the response, it's in the request. Like it doesn't matter if you get a no, it's like just good exercise to be asking, which is exactly yeah, what you're yeah. talking about, which is like apply for jobs you're not qualified for. Like who knows? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Most, might, most of the jobs I've had, I wasn't qualified for. Yeah, know? I might make, um, my goal since uh, the beginning of my senior year was to like publish a LinkedIn article. Just, and a lot of it was just like how to network, but I might add everything I just said. because. You should. We'll send you the transcript so that you can type <laughs> it word for word because you're a very eloquent speaker. So I'm sure if you just publish the transcript up there, yeah. it'll read like a very polished right. piece. I'm trying to go viral on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's right. <where I'm> <laughs> Too bad nobody's on LinkedIn. No, I'm just kidding. I talked about this recently because I was watching Jeopardy and one of the questions was about like the second biggest social network company and i was like oh i don't know instagram you know or twitter whatever it was like no bro it's linkedin i was like what every time i get an email from linkedin i'm like what who's using it and then every time i need a job i'm like linkedin save me there it is there it is you're only on there until you need it you know what i mean it's like a very out of sight out of mind service but it's it's very important and if you're not on there you don't exist yeah so literally thanks for the reminder so whatever Um, whatever you write can you write it for quest on too yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Why not? Let's publish a piece, how to how to and how not to apply for a job. You know, the millennial guide to job of applications. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? Like, the millennial. Will you come up with something better? Well, the thing is, like, after graduating, and a lot of my friends felt this, like, you just don't know what to do with your life. Like, literally, all of us were so restless and, like, sad and, like, just not, in, like, I don't know, just, like, not enjoying it as much. So it was, like... I thought I was alone in there. I was like, oh, it must be because I didn't take a vacation right after college ended. Well, it was also Ramadan, so and nobody taking a vacation when you're fasting. Um, but you're probably also like grouchy because you weren't yeah, eating all day. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So you were like, man, life is whack. And then like the sun would go down, you'd eat dinner, you'd be like, life's not so bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know. Like, okay, if, you, if we're pitching any stories, it's that, like the transition. And if you get some like f- fresh grads or I don't know, just like, it's just so weird because I'm so used to having structure, but not structure because college is a, you know, like, I don't know, like I, you just get so depressed and like so sad and like, and like you made it like, this is the point, right? To like have a job. And it's just like, I don't know. Everyone on my job is like at least minimum three years older than me. I have people on my team who are like, who just turned 29. And oh I'm, my God. Dinosaurs. No, <laughs> I don't know. They're just like very like, Euthanize them. <laughs> they're very like, you know, oh like this is my job like every like and I'm just like I'm trying to wild out but like you can't anymore and you, I don't know I commute so I'm just like I'm so dead by the end of the day tell us a little bit about startup life I worked at a startup uh it failed uh as many do but I was very cool to be a part of the first like dot-com wave in San Francisco mm-hmm. you know I worked for a startup like tech magazine which mm-hmm. actually was a physical magazine because it was 1999 uh, it was called Industry Standard, and I was. They had a they had a ping pong table. They brought in chefs. They used to oh. have 
rooftop parties with open bars. Like it was all the cliches. People rode scooters in and out of the office, all the cliches of startup life. And mm -hmm. they were like blowing money and all that trash. And then we wondered, why did we fold? Do you think yep. it had something to do with the celebrity chefs that were here preparing lunch for everybody? You think Maybe. it was for subsidized scooters? So, you know, that was almost 20 years ago when I was in startup life. I would imagine things have changed a lot. What is yeah. startup life like for you, for a young person in 2019? Um, is that what year is 2019? Yeah. Okay, 2019. Sorry. So, <laughs> uh, startup life, let's see. Well, one... It is very much so, I mean, it's, I mean, we work, we all have like different teams. Um, so today we were celebrating eight years at my company. So um, they, we, they call us nifties. Um, and so the CEO brought us to the front, asked us a question about like what clothing brand we like. And it's so weird to be so Oh, he said a clothing brand or like a clothing item that you love. And I said sun hats. I was like, I love sun hats. I would die for them. And so everyone was Sorry. like, <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's like so interesting. One, I wish it was more diverse. I keep saying this. What does um, it look like? What's the makeup? Are you mean diversity, gender? We're we talking about race, religion. What are we talking age? We're we talking um, about. Let's see. I am. I think I'm definitely the. I'm. I'm not sure, right? Because you can never tell sometimes. But I'm first. Sure the only Muslim woman that I know of so far in the company and we have like 200 plus people um so not a lot of brown faces in my team like mostly white guys that's sales for you I'm in sales yeah. um yeah we have a lot of white people a lot of Asian people not a whole lot um, well, I noticed, I don't know if you've seen this film. We did a podcast recently about this film, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Ooh. Um, beautiful film if you haven't seen it. I don't recommend a lot of movies, but that one I'm definitely recommending. Um, and there's a scene in there. They don't talk a lot about tech. The movie is about how San Francisco has changed. And it's about a young black man who grew up in the Fillmore district and now lives in Hunters Point and how the city has changed, right? Yep, yep, yep. It's not overtly political. So you don't get a lot of, you know, they're not talking about like, oh, damn, these techies. But there is one scene where there's like a big party bus, you know, like one of those like fake cable cars with all these people partying. Yep. And most of the fate, and they're wearing like t-shirts that look like some kind of stupid startup logo or whatever. Yep. And they're all drunk and they're listening to Jefferson Airplane. And, you know, they, they do something pretty rude to one of the characters. They like kind of harass this guy on the street. And the it's like, as I said, mostly white faces, but the guy who's like trying to get his friend to like, hey, check this guy out and like to talk trash to him was an Indian guy. You know, no and I it was very interesting in the film that they were like, I don't know if it was a wink or an acknowledgement. I know that there are a lot of South Asians who work in tech. And I wonder if we're talking about race within tech, like, you know, and if we talk about techies changing San Francisco is like the association with like white men in tech, just as strong as the amount of like South Asians. And yeah, we strong. have a lot of South Asians. Yeah. What yeah. about gender? Like, what about gender in general? It's definitely skewed towards more male, for yeah. sure. Like, one of our floors is, like, the engineering, and you're not going to find a lot of women. <laughs> I mean, this is an issue that's very close to our heart here at Queston and on Margin Call. We've talked a lot about tech and women in tech, and Melanie in particular has, like, devoted decades of her life to talking about the tech industry and being a woman in tech because she's in my generation. So she was working for dot-coms in the late 90s and it describes being like the only no woman. Way. Like, forget oh, about being a Latina, forget about anything. Talk about being the only woman, you know, in these rooms of these startups. 
And I'm curious, you know, because we hear so much about like, yeah, we need to invest in women in STEM and women in tech. And, you know, there are all these incubators for women and particularly young women to get involved in tech. Like, do you think that's happening? Is that reflected in startup culture? already brought it up i was like why are we i didn't we have more women at least on my team and they're just like they're not applying you know like he can you know my boss can only do so much like yeah. y- you know and of course it's like you i mean you gotta do well in your interviews and all that good stuff you gotta be want you have to want to be in it yeah. like high turnover rate in, in sales yeah. um, but it is unfortunate and and i and even if I like told one of my friends to get into sales, like they just be like, oh my God, like I can't even, I can't even see myself in that. And it's, it's a perception thing, you know, like. Well, sales not- also, the culture of sales, I think is very similar to what you described earlier about this like kind of male confidence that could also be entitlement, yeah, you know, for example, sales is like convincing someone to get something they don't need. You know what I mean? And like yeah. men are kind of, we're, we're socialized to do that from birth. Yeah. culture has been built around that male impulse so it would make sense that women would be like i don't want to be involved in that that's like bro culture i'd rather do something like more life affirming but you're a very smart very charming person so i, I would imagine say i would i'd buy something from you you know what i mean whether, whether or not <laughs> I needed it. so i would think if if people in sales were smart who were managers they would say like hey we've been trying this bro culture thing for a while like why don't we try bringing in like smart and savvy women who have different skill sets and maybe a different approach to it? Just an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just, I mean, they put it out there. They're trying to get more hires for sure. They're trying to grow it, right? As the startup grows. It's yeah. just like, I, I don't think a lot of women see themselves as salespeople. And like, so for example, they tell me to like do like my reading and like learn more about the industry and 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 whatnot and like all the podcasts are run by men sales podcasts and the books are written by them and so i hate podcasts that are run by men they're the worst <laughs> they <laughs> are they like, talk and talk they, they interrupt their guests to tell their own story <laughs> it's despicable <laughs> they, they, like they've all been like suggesting people to like like great podcasts they say i mean one of them is like the great salesman like already it's yeah. not even you know skewed to to everyone who could potentially be into it but, you know, startup life is interesting. Um, I had to learn a lot of things. Stock options. I don't know what the, what the hell that was. Um, you know, I mean, they promote really well within it, which oh. I really appreciate. Yeah. And, like, that's really important to me as someone who doesn't like being stagnant. I I can't. And I, I told them that in the interview. I was like, if you don't have, like, promotional opportunities, mm-hmm. like, that's just not going to be a good fit. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, let- <laughs> That's an important thing to say. Uh, yeah, let me know. finish. I have, I have two specific questions about um, startup life before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless there's anything I forgot to ask about that you want to say. One, uh, is it fun? Is it like, this is what I wanted to do and now I made it? Or like, oh, I finally got the job I wanted and it's whack. Well, or okay. something in between. I've been in onboarding slash training for the last three weeks. So this was the week I went live. Even then, they're still like really holding my hand and like you get better with time. So I have to learn to trust the process because the first week I was beating myself over like not understanding this complex machine learning based product um, and like the fraud industry, which is what we're in. And so I was just like, I don't understand why it's not clicking as fast. And every time like one of the the older BDRs um, would ask me, like would give me advice. I'd be like, how, how did you know that? And they were literally 
and constantly saying like with time you yeah. get hints like with time you know you can look at a company understand their needs and just pitch it to them and really because the way we do it is very consultative we want to teach them we make it educational and then through the education then you pitch it's not like we're selling you a product that we don't believe in the product is mm-hmm. amazing it's freaking amazing so i i'm in love with that aspect i also really i'm sold it. can you come up with a package for quest on media <laughs> yeah. we can offer you zero dollars it's like really cool because it's like they really set you up to like really learn from every department every team so like today i was talking to a product manager and i was like hey i eventually want to have your role not have your role but like you know learn about your role and, and become a pm and i know that's different from sales and it completely veers off and she was like no like let's have a get to know session and, and I'll teach you everything. And I was like, Great. who does that? Like no one. So I love her. I'm going to. <laughs> uh, my last question is a personal kind of personal and it relates to the last time we had you on. How's the money? It could be more. Uh, <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> I also like don't know how to negotiate. So they were like, is this cool? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's money. <laughs> yeah, no, Right. Then it turns out, love taxes, I do. But wow, do they take a big chunk. Word. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oof. Wait, so I think there's like kind of an inverse. You can make a flow chart of like the more money you make, the less you want to pay taxes. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if there's something yeah, yeah. that happens. I, I you know, I, I had a conversation with an old, much older conservative man who was like Irish immigrant in his 60s who was like a contractor and like, you know, built houses and started to own property that way. Yeah. And he, you know, singled me out as the young liberal whippersnapper. And he's like, son, I've got a saying for you. Um, this is bad Irish accent. Apologies to everybody, especially to you, Mr. Walsh. You're a good man. Uh, if you're not a liberal, uh, when you're a young person, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative, when you're an old person, you have no brain. But I interrupted him and I said, he was like, when you're a conservative and you're an old, if you're, if you're an old person, you're not a conservative, you have no, and I interrupted him and said, you have no money? <laughs> there it is. And he said, that's actually a better phrase. <laughs> there it is, yep. Uh, so there's some truth there. And we'll, as you keep making more and more money, we'll check back in with you about what do you think about tax policy. <laughs> yeah. feel, I mean, feel free to change your mind at any time. It's a lot. I mean, it's fine. We also make bonus, so. Yeah. Well, sales, I, I imagine, is commission-based, right? Is that well, true? yeah. I mean, you have your base, but then you have commission. And then, like, the next step will be account exec. And then when you close those big deals, that's yeah. where it's at. I mean, people have made millions. I'm not going to get that, but, you know. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. And then you're right, like, when I'm, I'm, taxes this whack. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving. I'm putting all my money in the Cayman Islands. There you go. And, and I won't judge you for it. Yep. Um, all right, Katiba, thank you so much for this primer on um, what – what startup life is like now it's very illuminating for me thank you very much for your story pitch which is brilliant we're going to hold you to that and send you lots of persistently patient emails what you call nudges Ming's uh, <laughs> laughing because you know 90 percent of her job is sending you nudge emails 95 percent of my job is sending you emails 98.9 but in my defense i always respond like oh damn Thanks. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> so, you know, it works. The nudges work. Yep. Um, so before we wrap up, Yiming, I want to put you on the spot for a couple of reasons. One, because this is our anniversary episode and we're having all of our um, former guests on, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge the fact that none of this would be possible without you, Yiming. 
literally none of this would be possible. I can sit around and talk shit for hours. And you do. Just yeah, I do. Whether anybody's <laughs> recording or not, but it certainly doesn't belong in anybody's iPod. You know. <laughs> I, Don't and say that. Our guests are, even though they're very, very eloquent speakers and very interesting. You're the organizer. You're the driving force. You make us sound good. I, I won't go on and on about it, but I just want to recognize on our one year anniversary, one one year, once a year, once a year, I'm gonna one, be like, you do good. Oh, email, <laughs> I give you shout out. I know, I know. I'm just I fucking with you. I'm just fucking with you. I know. If I'm not getting enough shout outs, you're gonna get less shout outs, and I'm That's gonna fine. Into, That's fine. You know, one That's of those fine. parents who withholds love because they think it, it, it helps their kids to be stronger you, you don't want that out of me do you i'll give my own shout outs to myself in my head all right all right Eming's confident enough to give herself her own shout outs I'm i just awesome i wouldn't feel right without acknowledging your contribution and that's true for all of you shirley Fativa, melanie Eming. all of you have made invaluable contributions and this shows success it's a shared success so thanks to all of you uh before we get out of here I want to say this may have been the most productive editorial meeting we ever had. It definitely sounds it definitely sounds more like a radio show than any editorial meeting we ever had before. It's a goddamn miracle. Thank goodness. I don't know if I agree it. with that, but okay, I'll give you that. Wow, roasting her guests on wow, the show no, is still being No, it's not recorded. what I mean. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Never mind. You know, you're going to have to edit out that f word yourself, you mean. Did you know how, how many of our sh- episodes ha- 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 have the letter E next to it for explicit? Yeah. Well, we got to let the kids Most know. of them. Yeah, you can Google any kind of pornography you want, but don't listen to this podcast because it has the F word in it. Um, and we'll, we'll put that disclaimer on there. So before we get out of here, I just want to recap. Shirley uh, had a wonderful pitch uh, about the relationship between the U.S. and Mexican governments now, which uh, sounds pretty dark. And we're going to dig around in it to get a better sense of how much the Mexican government is benefiting from potentially incarcerating its own people and people from Central America. Melanie uh, had this wonderful story about snowbirds uh, getting cut out of the election in Florida and also the Trump statue, which I mean, that that story writes itself. And uh, Katiba, of course, she's the one who said, I'm going to write it whether you publish it or not, uh, is going to give us uh, the young person's guide to landing your first job. Uh, and we're going to send you many, many emails about it until we get some copies. I mean, someone has to push me, so. Well, I'm not, that's what I'm here for. I'm a pusher, just like you girls. Um, mean Drug. Girls reference, anybody? I'm yes, a yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you. I was waiting for that. Um, all right, so I want to thank all of our guests. Shirley, it's always a pleasure. Melanie, truly, breath of fresh air. It feels like a reunion. Um, and Katiba, this is great. You're always a joy. Thanks again to Eming, our producer, for keeping us sounding good. Um, you have been listening to the first annual Quest on Margin Call podcast reunion featuring former guests Shirley Abney, Melanie Feliciano, Katiba Ololefi. Did I say your name right? Ololefi. Ololefi. I was close. I was close. And Eming Piancai, who, even though I've known Eming for 15 years, I still mispronounce her name. So <laughs> sorry, Eming. Sometimes I say it wrong. Wait, what did you say? Right now, I happen to get, right now, I happen to get it right. Right now, I happen to get it right. That's I funny. To rhyme, I always wanted to rhyme Beyonce. with Beyonce. I know. I, I, I know. I want everything to rhyme with Beyonce. I know. It would be a better world if every word rhymed with Beyonce. <laughs> Definitely rap songs would be a lot easier to write uh, if every word rhymes with Beyonce. Okay. Be really boring. Thanks to everybody uh, who was here tonight. I'm very, very proud of everything we've accomplished. Uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, quest on, everybody. 
This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.